Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, and welcome to this week's interview. This is the second of our two-part series of terrific female writers who are related to me. You won't get this anywhere else for some reason. Today, my guest is Faith Moore. She used to be uh, Faith Claven, but realized that a girl's reputation can only stand so much, so she changed her name and now lives incognito. To Faith Moore, you have often heard me talk about uh, mothers and homemakers with great respect and even honor, and I'm not being sentimental about that at all. I'm not like a Victorian talking about the angel in the house or some perfect ideal creature on a Hallmark card. I'm talking about mothers and homemakers the way they actually are, sometimes flying on their last nerve and covered with all kinds of various substances that babies throw at them. But I really do believe that these are people who are not just making human beings, but making beings human and making life human life, and I'm very, very proud that my daughter, Faith Moore, is a genuinely first-rate example of that uh, profession and happens to be in charge of two of the most adorable children ever invented. I'm not just saying that because they're my grandsons. This is an objective truth, repeatedly proven in peer-reviewed studies. But I'm not bringing her on today as a mom because she's not your mom and doesn't care what you think of her as a mom. I'm bringing her on today because she's written an absolutely delightful Christmas novel called Christmas Carol, Carol spelled with a K. And while you're buying 17 or 18 copies of my novel, The House of Love and Death, for the tough guys in your life, I hope you will also pick up 11 or 20 copies of Christmas Carol for those possibly female women type people on your Christmas list who like funny, touching, romantic, and insightful books about real life, except with ghosts. It really is uh, delightful. I just loved it. Faith, it's good to see you. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. <laughs> I have to tell you, and I, you know, I, this is put out by Daily Wire Books, and they did, it, the, the cover is absolutely beautiful. It, it is a really, it's really a, a work of art, but it's not the, the book. The book is kind of a hallmark Christmas story. It is. It's a beautiful cover, and I, I would not say one word against it, but you're absolutely right. This is a Christmas story. It takes place on Christmas Eve. It has all of your hallmarky Christmas things that you know and love and want in a, in a good Christmas story. And it is, um, it, it is a retelling of one of the best Christmas stories ever, A Christmas Carol. So, yes, in fact, it is the Christmasiest of Christmas stories. <laughs> right. now, now, give us a breakdown. I don't want you to give away too much, obviously, but give us a breakdown of why why you're telling a Christmas carol again and what's the difference and what's, what's going on. Sure. So it's a modern retelling of A Christmas Carol in which the Scrooge character has been reimagined as a workaholic mom named Carol. That's why it's Carol with a K, <laughs> Christmas Carol. And um, But her miserliness is not about her money, like Ebenezer Scrooge's is, it's about her time and how much time she chooses to spend or not spend with her family. And on Christmas Eve, she goes through the same kind of past, present, present and future supernatural experience that Ebenezer Scrooge goes on. But in her journey, she learns to see and appreciate why she has become who, who she is, this workaholic mom, and also what she's missing back at home because it's really a story about what happens when you have children and then you leave the home and in this particular case she's such a workaholic that she's just really not there at all i mean she's not even there on christmas eve when the story takes place she's gone into the office for a variety of reasons and she's left her kids to bake cookies at home so that's the story it's it's it follows kind of beat for beat the dickens narrative but it takes on this other idea, these other themes about 
motherhood and marriage and family and and what it really means and um, kind of challenges the idea that you can have it all because you can't. (laughs) Yes, no, you know, it's funny. Just before I came into the studio, I was talking to the lady in makeup and I was telling her a story about a girl back in the old days of the Daily Wire who uh, had had a baby and she she was back in the office about six weeks later and I, as you know, have a big mouth and blurt things out and I saw her and I, I said, what are you doing here? And she burst into tears and I thought, you know, maybe well, no. <laughs> some people need to think this through. I mean, the interesting thing about this and it's always, it's always, not always, but it can be difficult talking to conservatives about fiction because they think, well, why am I reading a story if you just made it? And they want to think that it's kind of a messagey story. But it's actually, I was I was really startled. It was actually just a delightful story. I laughed out loud throughout. It's incredibly, it had a couple of scenes that were incredibly touching. I had to pretend not to be moved because I'm a man. But like, <laughs> but it was genuine. But it's not a message story. It's really just a life story. No, I don't think that a story like this, a novel, and you know, you you know this as well as I do or better, you know, that a story like this should have should be setting out to to tell a, a point, to make a point. I think I think that really a story is a story and it's telling you it it tells you what it is going to tell you regardless of what the author meant. You know, you're going to take from it what what you take from it and um go from there. For me, you know, I, <laughs> I don't really have a, a message to tell. I, I'm not, I'm not on my high horse. I don't have a, a manifesto or anything that I'm, I'm trying to impart. I just wanted to tell a story. You know, my, I'm not, I'm not a pundit. I'm not, I'm not somebody who, you know, wants you to do anything in particular. I'm just a person who's living my life. And my life is very much, as you said at the beginning, about being a mom. My life is my kids. My life is, you know, school pickup and, you know, whether it coincides with nap and what we're going to do about that. You know, it's whether we need a diaper change and, you know, what what music class are we going to today? That's that's what my life is all about. And I just happen to have some stories that I want to tell. And, you know, this this is the one that was on my heart at this particular time. So that that brings two questions into my mind. The first is. Well, first is how, where do you, how do you do that? How do you find the time? I mean, I've met your children. They're like incredibly uh, rambunctious, and they take up a lot of attention. How do how do you, when do you write? Well, I yeah, they do, and they are in fact my number one priority. And you know, if you if you took writing out of my life, I would be sad, but I would continue because really, my the great work of my life is is being a mom. It's not it's not my job. It's my vocation. It's the thing that I really feel called to do. And it's the thing that I, that I hope will be, will be the thing at the end of my life. That was my great work. So that's what I'm spending most of my time doing, but I do get about an hour or an hour and a half a day when my toddler is napping. And, and that's when I wrote this book. I I really don't have any, any childcare in particular, you know, you, we, for whatever reason, we live kind of far away from from you and from mom and from Spencer and all of our family. So we don't we don't have a lot of of help. Um, and so it's really just me. <laughs> it's me and the kids. And so I, you know, but but this is something I've always wanted to do: tell stories. You know, and I I I have this time in my life when you know my, my little one is asleep, and that's the time when I write and. 
to me, it feels almost like a break. It's a time to kind of like re refocus my mind on, on thoughts, <laughs> you know, the other thoughts, not like the wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, <laughs> round and round, but rather, you know, something that, you know, maybe I maybe is a little bit more, a little, little more intellectual than that. And, uh, and, and that's when I, that's when I write. And so that's, that's how I was able to write this book. So the other question that springs to mind, and you're not a pundit, you're not trying to push any ideas on people, you're not actually thinking along those lines at all. How did you endure growing up in a house with me and Spencer? That's like, <laughs> how is that possible? Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I mean, well, one thing that is true is that, you know, you, you really gave me the gift of knowing that telling stories is something that you might aspire to grow up to do. You know, I think if I had grown up in a different household, I wouldn't have really known that this, this kind of drive that I feel, this thing inside me that I feel or I need to kind of create these narratives and these worlds and these people. I think I wouldn't have known that you could, you could be a grown up that, that does that and that that could be a job. So you, you gave me that gift. But I think the thing that I had to figure out about myself living in our family where, as you say, you know, you, you know, I love you both, but I don't understand half the time what you people are talking about. I mean, you, you sit down, you sit down and you get going and, you know, it's like, I mean, Plato and, and whoever else doesn't even begin to, to describe it. I, I have no idea half the time what you guys are talking about. And I, you know, I love to sit and listen to you. I feel like I feel like the little I feel like a, a little girl kind of at her father's knee even now. Like I'm just listening and I think it's like it's lovely and whatever you're talking about, wow, that's really smart and, and fantastic. And I'm sure that it's very important. But I don't I don't always understand. And I think growing up, I had to learn that about myself, you know, that I'm not I'm not in a lot of ways I'm not really an intellectual. And you know, all of the the kind of the books that I was kind of supposed to enjoy or supposed to understand, I had to come at them slant wise. You know, this this book, you know, Christmas Carol came not necessarily from originally loving Dickens's A Christmas Carol, but from loving the Alistair Sim version of the movie that we we watch, you know, all the time, and even now and when I was a kid. I, I did that all the time. I sort of come in slant wise to these things that you guys were sort of talking about through like a movie or a play or something because I, I couldn't I couldn't really pick up the books and, and understand them right away. And I, I think the the gift was that I I know that that's what's important. Those those big ideas and the things that you guys were always kind of talking about and hashing out, even if I didn't get the references or, or whatever, like I get that that the culture is important, that stories are important, you know, those kinds of things. But I had to learn that my life is smaller than that. The things that I want and the things that I am good at and can do take place within the confines, within the circle of my marriage and my home and and my children. And that's really what what where my great work is. It's it's here with my children and all of the things that, you know, that matter to them and that matter to helping them to grow up into the people that they want to become. And I have some stories that I want to tell. And so I think it wasn't, it wasn't like horrible. It was, it was 
great. You know, you you taught me so many things, but I also had to kind of learn the ways in which I was different. And and I think, you know, yeah, you and Spencer are so similar in that way. And I had to kind of learn how how I'm different. Guess what? Thanksgiving is just two weeks away. Just in time for the holidays, Genucel is offering their best sale of the year. Right now, you can get 70% off. That's 70% off Genucel's most popular package, which now includes Genucel 3, their newest under eye treatment. Genucel 3 will have you looking 10, 15, even 20 years younger. It uses advanced technology to deliver complex vitamins and minerals directly to your face for instant hydration. Say goodbye to fine lines, crow's feet, under eye bags, and dark spots. The Genucel experience is like no other, but don't just take my word for it. Genucel will have you looking and feeling your absolute best, guaranteed, or your money back, no questions asked. My producer, Lisa, loves using the Genucel under eye cream. I can't believe it. I thought she just looked that beautiful. We have the new Genucel 3 product on the way, so she can add this to her skincare routine. You deserve to look and feel your best this holiday season. Go to Genucel.com slash Clavin to get this incredible holiday discount for 70% off their most popular package, which includes the Genucel 3 and the Dark Spot Corrector. Get results in 12 hours or less. The immediate effects are included for free. Genucel.com slash Clavin for 70% off today, plus free priority shipping. That's Genucel.com slash Clavin. And by now, you're just begging. You're begging. Please, please, please tell me how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no You know, I have to say when you say when you say that you know you like hearing me talk, but you have no idea what I'm talking about. You sound so much like your mother. It's kind of shocking. But but you know, you you mentioned something in there that I don't want to get lost. That and because you, you mentioned in the acknowledgments, which I thank you for. You you said that I made it seem possible to you that you could write and, and actually be paid to do that. You know, when I was growing up, my dad was a, a DJ and he would just get up every morning at three o'clock in the morning and get in his car and tootle off into the city and do his job and then come back. And it, it gave me the same impression that one could make a living in the creative world, that it was a job. And I was kind of shocked, I have to say, when I found out, oh, no, it's actually not. It's actually a crapshoot where you're risking your entire life and career on this <laughs> on this crazy thing. So. I, I have to admit, I feel a little guilty about this. You know, I feel that like somewhere in our past, like in Poland somewhere, like some rabbi Kolovinsky <laughs> burned a witch. And as she was going up in flames, she said, I curse you that you will never have a doctor or an engineer in your house. You'll only have artists <laughs> and, and writers and thinkers. And and I, I wonder, I mean, do you feel this is a gift or do you feel sort of like me? I feel it's a gift, but it's also a burden. I think that because... I already get to do the thing that's the thing that I want to do, which uh, is raise my children yeah. and have my family and my home. I think that it's it's only a gift. You know, I think that it's true that I, I really think that people should only write if they absolutely have to. <laughs> you know, I think it's not it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> you know, it's not something that you can just sort of do. It's something that you are are called to do in some ways is tell stories. And so I think that like there. I would never have lived a life in which I, I didn't tell them. And so it certainly is a gift to know that I could tell them and perhaps get them out into the world in some way and have people read them. But I think I get to be kind of absolved of that sort of inner fire, that ambition that's kind of like that can kind of consume you when, you know, when you're not maybe getting what you want mm. sort of 
in career wise or, you know, in terms of like acclaim or whatever, if you're not getting that, I, I get to be kind of absolved of that because I'm, I'm already doing the thing that I, I want to do and the thing that I love. And I think, you know, <laughs> motherhood, sometimes people try to put motherhood into the category of a job. And the way the reason that they're doing that is because they feel correctly that women are kind of being told that motherhood devalues you and it, it makes you kind of not as um, successful or valuable in society. And they want to say like, well, no, like my job, you know, your job is being the CEO. Well, my job is being a mom and that's equally valuable. And of course it is equally and perhaps even more valuable, but it isn't, it isn't a job because it would be a terrible job. There's no pay. Uh, <laughs> you don't get a raise. There's no kind of year end review. You don't get any kind of thoughtful, constructive feedback. Um, so, you know, I, I, I get to kind of live this life that is the dream life, the, the thing that I sort of always aspired to be. You know, in the, in the book, there's a character whose aspiration is this. She wants to just, you know, meet a nice man and have a bajillion babies and, and live somewhere. And the Carol character says, that's very sweet, but that's not an ambition. But it, it is and was mine. And so I think that, you know, I get to be kind of absolved of that, of the of the curse part of of that, and I just get the blessing. It's it's you know it's it's fascinating when you, when you say that we're talking again to my daughter Faith Moore, and her book is called Christmas Carol, Carol with a K. It's available. It's available now, right? It should be available just. Just coming out now. Through the magic of the fact that when this comes out, yes, yes it okay. is available now. <laughs> All right, and and. You know, it's it's kind of amazing to me that this vocation, whatever you want to call it, this occupation, which is the se- it's the center of human life. It is the engine of human life. It's the manuf- the factory of human life, but not just of human life physically, but also of souls and making people into individuals. That it has become a point where you almost have to be defiant to do it. Where you almost have to kind of shake your fist at the world and say, like, I don't care what you say. I know this is a value. Do you find that to be the case? I mean, do you find that you need, I mean, you've always been able to find your own way and you've always, you've always been very remarkable in saying, no, this is what I want and this is what I'm going to do. But, but still, I mean, it is, it is, it's almost countercultural. It kind of is. And I think there is definitely this narrative right now that, and for a long time, that women have to grapple with, which is that if you don't, work outside the home, if you don't follow a kind of trajectory that is a sort of career trajectory, then you are somehow sort of opting out of of your given path. You know, you you are you were supposed to be X, Y, and Z. You were supposed to, you know, have a career. You were supposed to be very successful. You were supposed to be the CEO of this company. And and if you don't do that, it's kind of like, you know, you're you're letting down feminism, you're letting down, uh, you know, other women by kind of choosing to take a more traditional path. And I think in a lot of ways, that's actually what the book Christmas Carol is about. It's kind of about a woman confronted with the 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 sort of narrative that she created for herself or that society created for her and uh, it and allow being allowed to see what she's giving up in order to do that. And I think that for a lot of women, they don't question it necessarily. They don't question, you know, 
what they're being told. Like, oh, you go to college, you graduate, you, you know, you get a job, you rise in the ranks, et cetera, et cetera. And then somewhere along the way, somehow you marry and, you know, you have some kids. But I also think that what happens then is if you uphold your job as kind of the thing you're supposed to be doing, then your children become this like really annoying distraction Mm. because they need you. (laughs) And so, you know, all of the attention that they need and that they seek and crave becomes kind of like, oh, like, what do I do with you? Like, okay, daycare, okay, like whatever. And, And instead of kind of like, wait, stopping and taking a step back, you know, as the Carol character gets to do, she gets to kind of take the step back and see, and then maybe re-evaluating your life. Because the the wonderful thing about the Scrooge story actually is that in in the Dickens story and in this one too, you know, <laughs> Scrooge goes through this whole supernatural experience that you would think would kind of change everything. And, and there are these sort of magical things that happen to him. But at the end, materially, he's exactly the same guy. You know, he's, he's still really old. He's still, his fiance is still gone. His nephew grew up without him. All of these things are true. And yet his perspective has shifted and his priorities have shifted. And I think, you know, that's partly what made me think of this story to write is kind of what if, what if women stepped outside the narrative and sort of took a look at it and took a look at what, what they were missing or why they got here and kind of shifted their perspective in some way, what would they do? What changes would they make? And, you know, I think that's that's something that we really need in real life also. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I, first of all, I think that is what, part of the genius of A Christmas Carol is that it, it is about a, a, what what in Christianity is called metanoia, just a change of heart. It's it, and, and how remarkable, right. what, what a remarkable thing that does to your life. Obviously, the movie uh, It's a Wonderful Life, which is just A Christmas Carol in reverse. It's like the mirror image of A Christmas Carol. It does exactly the same thing. It doesn't really change your material situation, but it is it is really remarkable. You know, and, and there's this thing on the right, there's this thing among conservatives where we now make fun of girls who have been caught up in this narrative and whose lives have been, in some ways and minds, have been ruined by it. We make fun of them instead of, you know, going after the the culture that made them. I, I just had, I was just at my church at a party and talked to this woman who just said, you know, they told me that I could always get a husband, but it's really the other way around. You know, it's like, because they basically tell women to put their, build their timeline on a man's timeline. You go out and get money and then you can settle down and then you can have a family because you can afford it. But it's really the other way around. You should go out, if you're a woman, you should go out and have a family and then there'll be time to do other things later on as, as you get older. Yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, in the book, it says, you know, there there is no later. That's the thing that she realizes is that there there is no later. You know, this this moment of, you know, your child doing this one thing or whatever, it will never come again. Right. And so, you know, when her work is done, you know, when she feels that she's achieved whatever she was going to achieve, there won't be time to come back because the, the children will be grown and gone. And so I think, I mean, that's kind of the perspective shift is that if in within the course of the entirety of a woman's life, if God willing, your life is long, the percentage of that time that is when your children are small is is very short. Yeah. You know, your yeah. kids are home with you full time for, let's say, three years, and then they start to go off to some nursery school, and then they get a little bit more school, and then, you know, and then before you really know it, they're graduating and they're off to college, and that's the end of it. So I think there's no reason really to think of your 
life in terms of, well, I can either have children or I can have a career and that's it, you know, and I, I have to pick. You don't have to pick. You know, I mean, look at what's happening here, right? I have two kids, an almost nine-year-old and almost three-year-old. My three-year-old, you know, is just kind of starting to start a little bit of school a couple of mornings a week. And, you know, when he was very small, I wrote this book, right? And I wrote it in his nap time. And I was, I was 100% here, 100% here for him. And I was able to write this book. And now, you know, he's doing a little bit more and a little bit more. And eventually I'll have all kinds of time and I can, you know, do all sorts of things. And I could even have a job outside the home when they're all grown and gone. If I, if I choose, it's not, it's not that motherhood is a complete amputation of everything that makes you, you. It's not that you have to give up all of your ambitions and your creativity and the other things that you want. It's that it's a reorganizing of your priorities because this time really is so small yeah. and it's finite. They, yeah. they, they're growing up. That's their job. They're supposed to grow and they're supposed to go away from you. And that's what you're doing. So why not be there? Yeah, no, it's amazing. And I, I mean, there is the problems. I wrote about this in, in The Truth and Beauty and Mary Harrington has written about it in her book um, that, that, you know, it used to be that there were more cottage industries so that women had more, right. could share economics. But that's coming back with the computer. I mean, as, as, you have, as you are living proof, I mean, there are things you can do in that, time, in that extra time you have. Now, one of the things that was personally moving to me reading this book was thinking, as you said, about the, our home ritual, which remains a ritual to this day, that every year we have to sit around and watch in utter silence the uh, Christmas Carol with Alistair Sim, because there really is, except for the book, there really is no other Christmas. All the other ones are just imitations of the Alistair Sim version. Uh, how, how big an effect did that have on you? Well, I would like to first acknowledge that, yes, it must occur in absolute silence. There must not be any ice in your cup because lest, lest it clink. If you have a cold, please don't come because no nose blowing is allowed. Um, it, it is an absolute silent ritual that we must we must all partake of every every Christmas of course, time. Of course, yes, yeah. uh, yes, which which is which is true. There is no talking in news, um, but but I. I think, well, it's certainly something that had a huge effect on me, obviously. They're beginning, I think, with watching it too young and having to run away screaming and not watch it for several years because of how terrifying. <laughs> yes, that, that coast the, of Christmas yet to come is frightening, right? Well, it, it wasn't that, actually. Oh. It was before that. Before that, it, just in the very beginning when Scrooge is walking up the stairs and Marley is going, Scrooge. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's very scary frightening. Yeah. I, I had to watch. But I'm also the child that had to be taken out of the movie theater because the MGM lion roars. So <laughs> I understand that maybe it's not scary for everyone. So use your own judgment for your own children. Mm. But anyway, so that, it was obviously very, very kind of emotionally gripping for me. But I think, you know, we we literally watch it every year. I mean, even now, so sort of without fail. And I think that it's something that's really, it just sort of imprinted itself on my heart. You know, like my husband knows that if I'm saying something that doesn't make any sense, it's a quote from A Christmas Carol. Like if I'm just like blurting something out that sounds really strange, it's, it's a quote from that movie. And, you know, we sort of use it. There are sort of touchstones from the movie in our family that we kind of use as, as shorthand, you know, for, for different emotional situations. So I think, you know, I think it, it made sense for me to reach for it when I wanted to tell a story that was sort of deeply emotional for me. You know, when I wanted to kind of tell a story about motherhood and about 
kind of gratitude and and forgiveness and the joy of the joy of finally kind of having these children. And, you know, I mean, for me, as you know, like having children was not an easy thing for me. I mean, there was a time when I thought, you know, I wasn't going to have any children. There was a time when I thought I was only going to get to have one. And, you know, for me, this story in a lot of ways is kind of about, you know, the the ways in which we forget to be grateful just for the fact of our children, for the mm-hmm. fact of our yeah. family and just kind of remembering that. So I think it made sense for me to kind of reach for this story that is so kind of part of our family and so part of my emotional lexicon when I wanted to tell a story like that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Every family has little sayings that they use and th- repeated jokes right. and running gags. And well, it must be 30% of ours come are direct quotes from that movie. It's like, yeah. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what are you what are you planning to do now? Do you know? Do you know where you'll go from here? Well, I would really like to write a whole bunch more novels. I, I think that's what you mean, right? Like, yes. what am I writing? Yes. Um, yeah. No, I... This is what I've always wanted to do since I was a little girl is is write novels. And, you know, I can I can remember sitting in, you know, in our house on our my first little computer kind of typing up, you know, with the the Microsoft paperclip guy being like, that's not right or whatever. <laughs> whatever. You know, I, I remember kind of like I've always wanted to do this. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm writing something else now, which is kind of in its very early stages. I'm it's kind of <laughs> it's another it's another love story. I, I want to write about you know, I want to write about real people, men and women and, you know, women who are strong because they're feminine, men who are masculine because they take care of them. So, you know, that's kind of what, what I'm exploring and doing. And that's, um, you know, that's hopefully there will be many, many more to come. This next one is kind of uh, You've Got Mail meets Cyrano de Bergerac meets uh, Kate <laughs> Leopold. So uh, stay tuned. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, well, that is countercultural. Uh, where where can people now? You also do editing services. Uh, you're an excellent editor. We've, I just was talking to my friend uh, John Nolte, who has a book out. He's going to come on soon. And he was saying that you saved personally, single handedly saved his his novel, uh, which which was really nice of you. I, I'm not that, you know, I don't like him that much, but I think that was really nice. <laughs> well, that's very kind of him. He, he wrote an excellent book called no, The War of Time and everyone should read it. It was great. And, yeah. I'm, <laughs> and I'm joking. He's a great guy. Uh, where do people find you? Well, I have a website, faithkmore.com, faithkmore.com. I'm also on Twitter or X or whatever it's called, also at faithkmore. So that's those are the two best places to find me. All right. You know, the, again, my daughter, who I am never, I never forget to be grateful for, is Faith Moore, M-O-O-R-E. The book is Christmas Carol. I guarantee you, obviously, you know, I'm so proud of, uh, of my daughter and love her so much. I would lie like crazy if the book were no good. But I promise you, I am not lying. It is absolutely delightful. I laughed out loud. I, I won't say I, you know, cried, but I sort of choked up a little bit. My, my voice got a little thick it's at times, from time to time. And uh, no, it, it really is. It's a delightful book, Faith. And it's, it's a great job. And you did a great job. And, uh, and I like the grandkids, too. They're, they're already also. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for all of those things and, you know, for, and for everything always. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All right. I will see you uh, in a few days for Thanksgiving. That sounds great. Come on over. All right. I'll talk to you soon. It's great to see you. Okay. <laughs> Bye. You too. One more time. That was Faith Moore. The book is Christmas Carol. It is a wonderful Christmas gift. It really is. And the, even though the cover is lovely, it's much more uh, hallmarky and delightful than the cover suggests. 
Come to the show on Friday for The Andrew Clavin Show, and we will have more to come and talk about more stuff. In fact, we'll talk about all the stuff on The Andrew Clavin Show. I will see you there. 